Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. So I was reading the other day about a pastor who was very concerned about a bar in the community nearby the church. And because they were believing that because of that bar, there was a lot of evils coming into the community. And so he called for the church to move into prayer that God would rid the community of that bar. They even had a prayer vigil one night. They had a prayer service just about that. Two weeks later, a bolt of lightning hit the bar, burned it to the ground. After some time, the bar owner discovered that the people at church had been praying against his bar, and so he sued them. And he argued passionately before the judge, the reason that my bar burned was because those church people were praying against my bar. When it was the pastor's turn, he brushed off the accusations and said, well, you know, look, we did pray. He wasn't not denying that they did pray, but he said nobody in their right mind really believes that there was a causal relationship between our praying and the lightning striking and burning the bar to the ground. At this point, the judge sat back perplexed and said, you know, I'll be darned. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I'm listening to a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who doesn't. I think that little story captures very well some of the variety of different moods and feelings and confusions and questions that arise when the subject of prayer comes up. Some people, they discount prayer because they think, you know, I'm not good at prayer. And who wants to do something, to spend time doing something that they know they're not very good at? Especially if they don't see any upside for improving much. Other people find prayer dry and boring and many are sort of inclined to, to hyper-focus on the words and they say, I want to say the right words. Um, sort of like a, 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 I remember when I'd taken one semester at S uh, College of Spanish and I came home during the break and I, and I was trying to communicate with somebody who knew Spanish and but when you're just that good or that bad, you, you can't communicate much. Why? Because you're focusing so much on each word. It's sort of like when you're driving, if you focus on the windshield instead of looking through the windshield, I think a lot of people get hung up in prayer just right there. Others still uh, of us, we're action-oriented people. We tend to convince ourselves, you know, I, enough time, enough talent, enough money, and I'm going to roll my sleeves up and just, you know, grind it out. We're convinced that any amount of time spent in prayer uh, would probably not reap um, compounding interest in results the way that we can reap it if we just work hard. Others still, many Christians I know, tend to um, not spend much time in prayer because they might not say it aloud, but deep down they think, well, hey, what use is it? I mean, the world is, they think of uh, frozen, immovable, as if to say, hey, you know, isn't God in control of everything anyhow? And so what's the point? Why bother? But Jesus steps onto the scene and he teaches something very different. What he did and what he does today is teach us how to stop making prayer into a ritual or a production that we get hung up on and how to start talking with his father, my father, who wants to be your father as well. Jesus is teaching us how to stop talking to ourselves and to start talking 
with him. And never did he teach it better than in Luke chapter 11. So turn to Luke chapter 11 in your Bibles. And if you need a Bible, you just raise your hand and one of the ushers in any of our rooms will be glad to let you borrow one and you can keep it. It's our gift if you need a Bible. Luke chapter 11, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. And we'll take just a few verses in this passage today. And in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and and fill in some of the gaps that we don't cover uh, today. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples, referring to John the Baptist. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father. Stop there. Father. The word is Abba, Abba. Translates Father, or even in English, Daddy. Now you have to understand, this was an unthinkable thing that he was saying to the disciples right here. Because in the Jewish mindset, You didn't call God Father. You hardly called him Yahweh, a formal name. The Jewish people were forever afraid that if they said it just not quite the right way or even wrote it not quite the right way, that they'd be struck down. And and here is Jesus uh, demystifying it. And he's saying, no, Daddy, that's how you pray. I mean, this is, you can just see the disciples' eyes bugging out, like, are you kidding me? And he didn't do it once, as if they, you know, one of the disciples overheard him and said, wait, what did you just say? Nothing. Yahweh. No, no. He did it over and over and over. And when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, you do the same. Abba, Father, Daddy. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back, and I want to talk about the how of prayer using the the model that Jesus gave us. But today, I want to skip over that because we're answering the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is a conversation with your father, with your daddy. Not the great king of the universe. Not the creator. Oh, no, certainly all of those things. But Jesus said, when it comes to prayer, it's really going to help you. You're going to have a breakthrough. If you can wrap your minds around this, you'll be off and running when it comes to prayer. When it comes to prayer, let's go with Abba, Father, Daddy. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Oh, because I know so many people who, when it comes to prayer, they, they give themselves away uh, in, in that they tend to think of prayer in one of several terms. Some, some think of it as sort of like a complicated computer code. And by that, I mean, well, they say things like, well, you know, I, I, nah, I, I don't want to pray. Why don't you want to pray? I'm not very good at it. What do you mean you're not very good? Well, you know, I don't really know the, like the right words to, to, to say. Oh, so you feel kind of like I do about computer stuff. You, you've kind of computer illiterate and even maybe sometimes a little afraid to, to, to understand this program. I think a lot of people feel that way about prayer. I, I, I might not say it right. I don't know the words. Other people, they, they think, think, think of prayer uh, sort of like a, a, a golfer thinks about his game. What do you mean? Well, in golf, you, you got to have, you, you got to hold it right, you got to stand right, you got you to get your mechanics just right for the ball to go where it's supposed to go. I think a lot of people, they're like, Oh man, it's just so much work. If I if I take up prayer, then you know I'd probably have to learn how to kneel and lock my fingers and close my eyes, and all those things at the same time. And it's really complicated. I mean, there's just you know, or else it doesn't get through, right? No, it's it's that no, that's that's not the concept. Now you can kneel if you want, and you can close your eyes if you want, you can lock your fingers if you want. That nothing wrong with that. 
but that nowhere is told to us in Bible. This is the way you get your prayer through. No. Others still, they, they don't pray because they haven't got this concept of who they're talking to. And they have kind of this concept of the, the, the great boss in the sky. You even hear people say that. The big man upstairs, the great boss. In the, you know, that, that sort of, and, and deep down, what they mean by that is, yeah, and he's kind of a scary boss. I don't really want to get too close to him. I don't want to be called into his office. I don't want to like go in there. Why? Well, because you know, I've heard stories of people that went into the boss's office. He yells and he belittles them and embarrasses them and, and dreaded words. Oh, what, you know, what if he were to say, you're fired? I, so I'll, I'll just, I'll just kind of be the boss down here doing my thing and just say, you just be the boss up there and never the two shall meet. And, and that way we'll get along just fine to which Jesus says, no, 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 you don't have the right concept. It's, it's not a boss you're talking to. It's daddy, Alba, father. That's who we're talking to. You say, okay, got it. No, I don't think you do. Because if you did, you would talk with him. And many, most of you, you don't. Not much you don't. So I want to stay here just a, a little bit more, and I want us to continue to ponder this, this concept of who it is that we're talking to, because I believe if, if we could get our minds really wrapped, and I don't mean just our minds, I really mean our hearts, because, you know, there is such a thing as having a theology. That's what we think about God, but then there's another thing, and that's our neology. That's when we hit our knees, what do we really feel? And I don't think our neology comprehends this nearly enough, this concept of we're talking to Abba Father, Daddy. Because if we did, we would a lot more than we do. So what I want us to do is try to demystify it and deconstruct and actually reverse engineer this mystery called prayer focusing not on the mechanics of prayer or even uh, the, the, the how-tos, we'll get to that, but by looking at fatherhood. Why father? Well, because that's the metaphor he's using. He's saying that this is, this is enough for one day. Let's really focus on this whole thing about, well, I know something about fatherhood because I am one. Many of you, you know about fatherhood. You are one. Are you married to one? Are you had one? Are you've known one? We know about fatherhood. What do we know about fatherhood? We know, we know several things <laughs> about how kids come to their daddies. I'll tell you one way kids come to their daddies. They come authentically. And by that I mean messy, real. You know I have two boys, they're eight and 11. And they are nothing if not all boy. And by that I mean they are dirty and grimy and they go out and they play hard and they're actually more all boy than I was. I was kind of a neat nicks kind of boy growing up. I didn't really like it. But they get in, I mean, grime under the fingernails and sand and the hair all mixed in with bountiful amounts of salty sweat. And that's just a good day's play for them. And as messy as, the, and I don't think if, if Suzanne and I didn't tell them to take a shower or wash their hands, I don't think they might think about doing it for about a week. And it wouldn't bother them one bit. But as messy as they can be, they're also affectionate. Both of them are. And so at the end of a the day, they'll come in and they both, they, they like hugs. And especially the younger one who's a little smaller still, he can still, he still climbs up in my chair on my lap with me. And I'm like, you know, and, and, but he loves touch. And even though I'm a little bit of a neat nicks, you know what? I wouldn't trade those moments where he puts his, his face up to mine where I can tussle his hair and say, we need to get a bath now. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't trade those close moments, especially because many of you who've seen them running around here, you say, enjoy those years, because in a few years they'll be grown up and you won't have them to crawl up in your lap anymore. I wouldn't trade them, even though they're messy, even though they're stinky. They're real, 
and they're all thinnic, and they just crawl right up in my lap. Why? Because they know I'm their daddy. That's what kids do with their daddies, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. You say, well, that's right. So then I ask, well, then why don't you do that with God? See, you, you don't want to crawl up in his lap, authentic and real and messy. I know you. What you want to do is you want to get yourself cleaned up. You say, you know what? I had a particularly sinful day. I think this would not be the right day for me to go before the Father in prayer. I think I don't, I'm not quite good enough, clean enough, and, and I'll wait and maybe tomorrow if I have a better day, maybe then, maybe I would try talking to him. And, and we convince ourselves that only if we were clean, uh, then we could go before the Father. And yet most of you know we're not saved. A person doesn't become a Christian because he was good enough, because she was good enough. We, we come in our sinfulness admitting I can't save myself, I'm a mess. I have to have a savior who was good and who was perfect to bring his forgiveness and life and cleansing into my, into my life. You say, yeah, that's the gospel. Yes, but why is it that we can understand that's how we're saved, but when it comes to prayer, we're still legalistic. Say, yeah, but I don't wanna go, I need to like get myself cleaned up. Do you see the, 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 the contradiction? The way that we do that. But Jesus was saying, no, no, you have to remember who you're talking to. You're talking to your Abba Father. And daddies like it when their kids come to them, even when they're messy. Especially when they're messy and real. Right? Jesus, who, did he ever turn away a person who was real? No, and all he got was Messy people. They were all messes. They stole money. They were prostitutes. I mean, they were just, that, that's who he dealt with. And he would accept them. The only people he got fed up with were the people who were pretending to not be who they were, the Pharisees, who were trying to act cleaner than they were, right? He didn't like that, not one bit. So why would you try to be a Pharisee? First way kids come messy second way they come persistently and I think perhaps that's why Jesus moves on jumping down to verse 9 to this thing about persistence in prayer look at uh, verse 9 and 9 and so I tell you keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everybody who asks receives and everybody who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened there's this ongoingness to it. He's saying, oh, no, you just keep on coming back. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Now, anybody who's ever had a child or, or watched a child or been a child, you know that kids get good at persistence with their parents, right? I mean, from the youngest years at the grocery store, standing in the line, they can get persistent, right? And when they get older and they want an iPhone, they can get persistent. And when it's time to drive and they want a car, they can get persistent. Kids are just really good at that. And what's Jesus saying here? You oughtn't be that way before God. No. He says, that's, that's good. You keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? Because he's your daddy. I experienced that kind of persistence from my elder son not too long ago. Uh, that's Wesley. And he was out in the driveway shooting baskets when I got home one evening. It was a little bit later than normal and it had been a particularly tiring day. And I remember even as I was driving home thinking, Lord, you know, the, I, I would just like some food and then really to start powering down and get onto bed because I'm so tired. No sooner had I stood up out of the car than uh, Wesley looked at me and said, Hey, Dad! How about I get him a horse? That's a basketball game that where you, you have to make the shot that the person made in front of you. If you miss it, you get penalized the letter, H. And if you miss the second time, O, R, S, E. And then finally you're out if you spell the whole word. And I said, oh, son, tonight I just, I don't think I'm up for it. And 
He said, okay. So I went inside, and after having some food, um, I was going back to the garage to take a bag of trash uh, to the trash can out there. And he saw me, and he said, hey, Dad, now you're ready for a game of horse? I said, no, I'm, I'm just not, pal. I'm sorry. I'm tired tonight. He said, okay, well, how about a game of pig? P-I-G. And I said, no, thank you, though. I just don't have it in me. Went back inside. A little later, I had to go back out to my car to get something in the trunk. And as I was walking out, he said, all right, Dad, here it is. How about a game of do? D-O. Two shot. I said, no, no, son, I've told you I'm tired. And I got what I had to get out of the trunk. And as I was headed back into the house, I think I was not more than two steps from the sanctuary of being inside my door. I hear hollering out from behind me, okay, Dad, here's my final offer. I love this choice of words. <clears throat> he said, I'll play in a game of A. One shot, and you're out. I started laughing, and I looked at him, and I could tell by the twinkle in his eye he knew he had me. And I said, all right, I'll play you in a game of A. And as I was pondering that story, I was thinking, you know, that's exactly what Jesus is, is telling us here is absolutely on limits. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on, oh, you're wondering who won the game. He won the game. He made the, the shot that he's pretty good at those outside shots. And now, let me, let me ask you something. Uh, well, now, let me just tell you something. If, if I had an employee who was that persistent with me, just kept on asking and kept on... You know, probably I would need to free him up for his future and, and, and let him you know, move on. Um, but why could my son Wesley just keep coming back so confidently, so shamelessly, so persistently? Because he knew I'm his daddy and he can't be put out. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Now, it's true. From childhood, we're taught to learn manners and to be polite and to not be annoying and, and to be patient, learn to read social cues and be civilized. And, but, it's, but Jesus right here, he's saying, yeah, but not with prayer. Not with prayer. Why? Because you're talking to Abba Father, your daddy, in heaven. And who ever met a child who hasn't mastered the art of persistence with his father? Now you realize again the profundity of what Jesus is saying here. He's telling these disciples who all their life had, they never used the term daddy. I mean, that, that, that father, that concept, it did get used a few times in the Old Testament, but always about the, the nation of Israel. It was Jesus who made this very personal all of a sudden and, and kept doing it over and over and over. And now he's telling and do it, go back again and again and again. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? That's just what kids do with their daddies. One other way. They come. Kids come trustingly. They come trustingly into their daddy's presence. Take a look at this picture. This picture became iconic 50 years ago. The picture of President Kennedy with his, right there in the Oval Office, sitting at the Resolute desk, and there's his son just playing at his feet, uh, being a kid, doing what kids do right there in the Oval Office. And you know, as I was pondering it this week, it occurred to me, I think probably one of the reasons that this photo won the hearts of so many people is because it captures what our hearts long for, the thought of an all-powerful father who loves us so much as his children that we can just go right 
into his presence and be real and be messy and be ourselves and not be afraid because even though he is the most powerful, he's our daddy. Even as I was pondering that, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying within me, yeah, that's it. And one better than that. I mean, we, we don't you realize, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the, uh, of the Lord, we get access not to the President of the United States, which would be pretty cool anyhow, but, the, but he's only going to be in office for a few years, and then he's out of power. The Lord's saying, no, 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 you get access to the very king of the universe. You get to come into the throne room of heaven and not just once or twice, ongoingly, and with the full confidence that you can call him daddy, and he'll call you my son, my daughter. So do you know him that way? Do you know him as your Abba Father, Daddy? Many a Sunday, while I'm out in one of the atriums greeting people, uh, somewhat predictably, even happened this morning after the first service, Suzanne will go up to get the boys released from the kids' ministry, and they'll come racing down uh, from the kids' ministry building into the atrium, straight to the donut table, especially after 11 o'clock service, to see if there's any ki- uh, donuts left. And, <clears throat> and they come tearing across the, the atrium just like it's their own living room, and they'll come barreling into me, Uh, as I'm standing there talking to people. Now, my apologies, by the way, if they've ever barreled into you while we were having a conversation. If this were a talk about parenting, I might use that as an illustration of how then I pull them aside afterwards and say, now, let's do a little coaching on, you know, appropriate approach, you know, and there's people there and you don't want to knock them over and and it kind of leaves a bruise when you hit me that hard. You know, you you are weighing a little bit more now and... Um, but this isn't a talk about parenting. It's a talk about prayer. And I can tell you in no uncertain terms, it warms my heart every time they come barreling into me. Why? Because they're my sons. And I'm their daddy. And what daddy doesn't love to hear from his son or his daughter What's going on in your heart? What happened the past few hours? Or if I've been away for the past few days? Help me come into your world again. What's been going on there? Kids come trustingly into the presence of their daddies. And so what is prayer? Paul Miller sums it up very nicely in his very good book called A Praying Life, which I've leaned on uh, some today. Prayer is the chance to be real and earthy and authentic with our heavenly father, fully trusting that he is a good father. But I know, I know, some of you, maybe any number of you, right now you're hearing this and and you can't help yourself, you feel cynical you find yourself sort of rolling your, oh, well, no. I mean, sure, that's all well and good, but I have a hard time with that, you say. Why are you cynical? I know why you're cynical. You would say, I'm cynical because I tried that, and I did pray. And I came back and I prayed over and over and I did it as well as I knew how to do it and, and I did not get the answer that I wanted. I didn't get what I was asking for. In fact, you might say I got the opposite of what I was asking for. And so you talk about a loving father. That just, it just kind of, it just makes me just feel cynical, sorry. Well, I have a feeling you're not the first person to, feel that maybe that's why Jesus moved on in the next couple of verses look at verse 11 he, he, he even speaks to this very thing he says now you fathers uh, 
If your children ask for fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew, when he was telling this passage, uh, he, he said, how much more will your heavenly Father just give good gifts to those who ask? It can go either way. If, if you can't get a better gift than the Holy Spirit, right? That's like the apex of, of good gifts, Luke is saying here. And so it's almost as if to anticipate the cynicism, Jesus is saying, yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. I heard those prayers that you prayed. But what I want you to understand is that sometimes in the same way that a child asks his father, or mother for something that she or he has enough life experience and perspective to say that wouldn't be the best thing. It wouldn't fit into the great things that God's doing in your life and says no. In the same way, so it is with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes he says, you may be actually asking for a snake that you think is a fish or a scorpion that you think is an egg because what child you know in jesus time might not be mistaken between the two a small fish a small snake could look like a fish and the kid could say daddy would would you get me that fish no no i won't because i know that's actually a snake or over in the Middle East, they have these scorpions that could ball up, and they're called white scorpions, and, and they could ball up and they could look like an egg. Daddy, I want that egg. Oh, no, honey, <laughs> you cannot have that. Why? I want it. No, because it's not the egg you think it is. It's a scorpion. And so Jesus is coming along, and I think he was speaking just to the cynical heart, saying, hey, if you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, then why do you question that our Father in heaven doesn't know how to do it even better than you? Tim Keller sums it up this way. Our Father gives us what you and I would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows, if we could see his great plan and come into that perspective, what we would have asked for. So somewhat recently, one of my sons came home from a friend's house, and that evening we were getting ready for dinner, and he announced sort of a public confession, I think, just to see if it could slide by, that at the friend's house, he had been, they had played a certain video game, which we've said in the Warline Homes, kind of an off-limits video game. Too many pictures, graphic violence, stuff like that. We just said, we're not gonna go there. And so Suzanne and I exchanged a quick glance with each other, and, and I said, hey, son, let's go and have a little chat about that. So we went in the other room, and I said, so tell me more. Help me understand, how is it that you came to play the game? And he told me very forthrightly, matter-of-factly, well, here's what happened, and here's what you And I said, okay, but then you know that we've kind of said that's, that's not a, a Whirline kind of game. He said, I know, Dad, but I said, well, okay, but let me ask you a question. Do you trust me? Do you, do you know that I'm a good daddy and that I want what's good for you. I use the opportunity to say, son, I appreciate your honesty. And to praise up and uh, highlight maybe another shining quality or two of his life. And, and I, I use the opportunity right there also to cast a little vision and say, you know, my, your mother and I, we feel like God has his hand of blessing upon you. And we could see any number of things that the Lord might want to use you to do. Maybe this or maybe that or maybe the next thing. He's like, okay, and I said, but son, what I want you to see is I am just old enough, I've been around enough, I've talked to enough people enough 
to know that the devil is your enemy and he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He's always been about stealing and killing and destroying. And he would love nothing more to destroy your life and to take you at this juncture and instead of letting you go this way that God has in mind to move you this way to destroy those things. Now I know that doesn't make much sense to you because it's just a video game. And I said that, you know, one time that's not gonna destroy your life, but son, I need you to trust me. Do you trust me? I do trust you. That I want good for you and I'm just big enough and old enough I can see further, I have more perspective to say, let's not go down that track. Because I wanna be a good daddy. because I don't want you to grab what you thought was an egg and discover it's a scorpion. Now if I, being evil, know how to do that, just imagine how much more your heavenly father, our heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. Incidentally, you know, you don't know, but I'll tell you. Jesus referred to Abba Father 65 times. It was his preferred, that's really the only name he used when he was talking to the Father. Abba Father, 65 times. You can read it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can do the word search yourself. In fact, that's the way he always addressed the Father, God as Father, except once. You know what that once was? That once was when he was hanging on the cross in agony, dying for your sins and for my sins. And in that moment, he cried out, my God, my God. He was taking a more formal approach at that point. Why wasn't he calling him daddy in that moment? I'll tell you why. Because on that moment when he was hanging on the cross, it was as if the father was throwing him out of the family. He was throwing him out of the family, as it were, so that you and I could come into the family, so that we could call him daddy, the same way that Jesus always had. You say, how is that? Because don't you see, you have to understand this. God, looking down upon his humanity, realized, saw clearly what we must realize, and that is all of us have gone astray like sheep. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And instead of sending us all to hell, which he could have done, he took mercy on us. And he said, I have a better solution. I'm going to send my son who will live the life of perfection and sinlessness that you can't live. That'll qualify him to die the death that you deserve, the consequence, the punishment that you have earned. He'll die that death in your place and take hell for you. He'll step in as your substitute so that you don't have to die and go to hell. So the reason that he was being thrown out of the family, and I think that's why exactly he wasn't calling him daddy, because in this moment he was being thrown out so that you and I could be brought in. See, all of us are children of God by creation. And I think a lot of people get this confused. Go, well, isn't everybody a child of God? Sure, everybody is a child of God by creation. Anybody who was born, anybody who has a pulse, they're a child of God. But only some become children of God by recreation. You say, how am I recreated? There's only one way, Jesus said. And that, he said, is through me. Through trusting in what I did on the cross for you, that that could be a sufficient sacrifice for you. You trust me, and then in the same way that I rose on the third day and conquered the grave, you can go into life knowing that you too will triumph, and on that final day, you too will rise. Because you're good enough? No. Because I, the Savior, was good enough, and you linked yourself to me by faith. That's why you can have this steady confidence and become a child of mine by recreation. 
a follower of Jesus, a Christian, born anew, born again. So I ask you, do you know him as your daddy that way? Have you trusted in the son Jesus and what he did when he was thrown from the family so that you might come in? I hope that you have. If not, I hope that you will. And then most of all, I hope that regardless of where you were when you came in today, that you'll talk with him. That you'll be real, messy, bring your authentic self and come over and over persistently. And come with a heart full of trust that you can come to the foot of the throne and play just like the photo, not fearing, being real, sharing what's on your heart. Why? Because he's a good daddy. So stop trying to get it right. Stop trying to pretend. Just tell him where you are and what's on your mind. That's what kiddos do with their daddies. Let the real you meet the real him. Because he's a person. He's a daddy. And he loves you. Let's talk to him right now. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way, Jesus, that you came and you taught us a new way, bursting barriers where the disciples had never heard of anything like talking about Father, Daddy, Abba, Father. Thank you, Father, that you invite us to follow his example. And if anything, you lament that we don't come more regularly than we do because daddies love to hear from their children. Lord, my prayer today is that you would help us now in light of what we've talked about to ponder these things and let them soak deeply into our hearts and minds that we might become more intentional about our communication with you. And if you came here today and you had never become a child of his by recreation, why don't you trust Jesus and what he did on the cross? Even now, you just tell him, I want that to count for me. I'm asking you to come into my heart, my life now and forgive me because I want to know you. Father, won't you do a work in each of our hearts? We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I am joined by Pastor Ken Warline, who just finished the first part in our new prayer series called Prayer Life. Thank you so much for being here, Pastor Ken. Sure. So we had a lot of questions come in and a lot of really good questions. And uh, one question that a lot of people had had to do with um, their own struggle with not having a very good father figure in their own lives. A lot of people either had an absent father yeah. or they had maybe a father who... Uh, just wasn't good at showing them love or maybe who was even abusive. Sure. And so can you speak to those people who might have a hard time relating to a heavenly father because of um, their own father figure? Sure. And you know, strangely, I could name some situations where people, some, to my awareness, their father really did a bang up job, but somehow in their heart or mind, the wires got crossed and, and they're not convinced of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
of course, none of us are perfect fathers. I think several things. Um, it's still the right concept mm -hmm. that Jesus gave to us. So if something's broken, it's, it's in humanity. And perhaps the first thing that we have to do is grieve that and just get to a Christian counselor and we can help people to do that to where they can just grieve. Absolutely. I didn't get what I wish that I had had. Yeah. And the reality, I think I might be fonder of God if I had had started off with a better daddy mm -hmm. um, because fathers do play a role in how our concepts of God are formed. Right. So I think we got to grieve it through the counseling process, get to somebody who can help us talk through that, who's kind of a specialist and that sort of thing. And then uh, um, move towards a surrogate. Okay. If not literally, um, in your heart or mind, I can think of a friend of mine who I think he would say his, his father didn't come through shining colors, mm -hmm. but I just noticed over the years he borrowed my father, who was a good dad, and nobody's perfect, but he, and I, I kind of saw what was happening, and I think my father was on to that, and, and, and was encouraging th that type of trust and, and authenticity and that sort of thing. So moving towards a surrogate, sometimes even in a counseling situation, the, a counselor can point to uh, sort of helping a person do that, or even I've heard of situations, and you gotta be real careful ab about this because the wires can get crossed and things can get weird and confusing, but, but uh, where the counselor even stands in and you know, gives a hug and gives a blessing sort of as a substitute that somehow in the psycho-emotional spiritual realm can open up the floodgates of, of tears and just kind of get the stuff out and there can be some real healing. Right. So uh, give us a call at church and let's get to Pastor Dan or Tanya and our prayer ministry or Beth and let's get you connected to some people who are good at that mm -hmm. and deal with the daddy issues because th th they will affect our relationships, even our relationship with God. Absolutely. Well, I think it's uh, counseling is something that just has a weird stigma to it for some sure. reason. Um, and so people are hesitant, yeah. but it's going to be really hard to embrace oh God the Father goodness. if you're still struggling with hurts and scars from your own childhood. Sure. So, well, and that's one of the reasons that, that Dan, Pastor Dan and I regularly try to use as our own illustrations, our lives that we both have benefited from counseling, just to try to destigmatize having somebody who can speak into our lives uh, can be a, a marvelous thing. Absolutely, yeah. Now, uh, another question that came in is kind of a technical question. Um, the person wants to know, why, where does the remaining portion of the Lord's Prayer come from, that right. longer ending? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for right. Okay, now I know because of conversations that we've had right. offline, you've actually been doing some study on this. So this is pitching you a ball right over home plate. You tell us what you've been discovering. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give just a really short version. Yeah. Um, so that language actually comes from 1 Chronicles 29. The, it's actually a worship text. Uh -huh. And so going as far back as 90 AD, we found ancient manuscripts that um, have thine is the kingdom and the power right. and the Lord glory forever. forever, amen, associated with the Lord's Prayer. And right. so uh, for almost 2,000 years, people have been using that version of the of the Lord's Prayer. And so I guess the really short answer is it doesn't really matter uh, which version you use. Um, both are, are perfectly fine. Sure. Um, yeah, and there were some differences between the Protestant church and the Catholic church, right. and, um, which is always interesting, especially if you like church history. Right. And ties in roundaboutly to what Ben was talking about last week. Absolutely. Uh, talking about all of the, the differing texts 
and but then getting us to the bottom line. Uh, let's just go forward with the gospel, with our faith on the solid foundation that we know, that we know, that we know it is God's word. Absolutely. And so we can uh, parse out different ways to, to, to pray this prayer or that. In fact, I'm gonna use the Lord's Prayer as my model when we get to the how. Right. And I'm gonna make the case in a couple of weeks that I don't think Jesus was giving us that so that we would recite it rotely, mm -hmm. but that it was a good comprehensive model for some subjects that we should cover in our prayer. But we'll come to that in a couple Absolutely. of weeks. Excited to hear that. Yeah. It's gonna be good. So another question um, we had uh, says, when you're praying, are you praying to God or are you praying to Jesus? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because <laughs> of course the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. Right three ways that he showed himself to us, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think probably the most common is people pray to the Father, probably after the example of Jesus, through the Son who uh, is our interceder, um, with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, doing the delivery in between. Mm -hmm. But I do find myself sometimes praying Jesus. Sometimes I pray spirit, right. such and such as I do this, Holy Spirit, would you please just move? Um, so the answer is yes. Yes, there you go, short and simple. All right, so now we are going to be moving into some more complex questions, difficult okay. to answer questions. Yeah, right. um, and uh, this question in particular is theologically dense. Okay. Um, they wanted to know when we are praying, mm -hmm. are, do our prayers change God mm -hmm. at all or do our, our prayers change us? And do our prayers actually have an effect on the world around us? Sure. Do they affect the outcome of things? Um, or is God just in complete control of everything, right. kind of puppeting everything around? Right. But, so what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I could say if I were God, Definitively, here's how this works. Right. But obviously I'm not. And uh, so th the answer is, I think, again, yes. Right. It's, it's, it's both. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you look throughout scripture and there is a lot of, um, you know, the Lord beckoning people, welcoming people to pray. You think back to Abraham, right. who uh, was pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did he start with? 50. Right. If there's 50 righteous people, don't smite the city. And then he said, well, now, God, I don't want to be inappropriate, <laughs> but how about 40? Yeah, bargaining. We, he was bargaining. Yeah. And then it's just like an old Middle East bargain, bizarre. <laughs> and how about 20? What did he get to down to 10? Yeah. If there's 10 righteous people, God, would you not? Now, you, you wish, why didn't he go further? Right. Why didn't he go to one? Uh, that's who he really cared about. Um, Moses, right. you know, when God was so fed up with the Israelites who were doing the wrong things out in the wilderness and, and he says, I'm just gonna wipe them out. And, just, and Moses is like, no God, right. don't do it, don't do it. Why? Because the Egyptians will laugh at you. If, if they say his, their God took them out and then he just killed them all. And, you know, and so, so you look at these, these situations, it's like, it would certainly appear right. that the heart of God was being touched. Hmm. Now, how does that all work? We don't know because he is certainly sovereign throughout all of it. And, you know, so the best I, I've been able to do in a very homespun sort of way is I look at it this way. My son might come to me and say, Daddy, I need, I'm hungry. And I say, well, what, do you want a sandwich? Yes. Well, I'll get up and make him a sandwich. Right. Now, if he comes in and he says, I don't like our house. What do you mean? I don't I want a two-story house. 
well, do I just walk out and put a for sales? No. Uh, that one, we're going to go with where we are. Right. You're going to have to be the one that's going to change uh, on this one. Right. Making a sandwich, that's not outside of my will. Selling the house, that's outside of my will. Right. Um, and um, so when we get to heaven, we'll get to find out exactly how it all works. Absolutely, yeah. We can't know all the mechanics right <laughs> no, now. It's right. Some things you just have to say. But I don't know. we do no. know that he calls us over and over and over. Right. And many times says, if you will pray, then mm -hmm. I will do this. Exactly. Well, I don't think he was just asking us to enter into a charade. Right. Uh, I think there must surely be something right. that he's wanting there. Yeah, it's almost like he's given us a certain amount of say-so and how things operate within the bounds of his own will. Of his own will. And purposes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Uh, it's kind of hard stuff to oh, think about. mind-boggling it is. It? Yeah. Uh, and then our final set of questions that came in, a lot of people had these questions as well, um, is people want to know, you know, you, you hear people talk about all the time how they hear from God and how they're praying and God answered them in this way or that way. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time in prayer and they never seem to hear from God at all. They, they can't, or they don't feel the Holy Spirit moving in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and there's even uh, people who um, don't know if their prayers have been answered. They can't seem to parse it out. Like, has God answered my prayer? Has he said no? Or am I just missing it entirely? Um, so how do we know um, if we're hearing from God um, and uh, how do we know when he's answered our prayers? Sure. And how do we know we're not hearing from ourselves? Right. Yeah. How do we know the difference? Exactly. Um, well, I'll say this. I think many times in my own journey, I've come to realize that when I'm hearing from God, uh, sometimes there's going to be a little bit more sacrifice involved than what I would have come up with in my own mind. Right. Um, there's more reassurance and just the sort of steady undergirding that, that comes through trial and error, through experimenting and saying, I think I heard from God. And we act upon that and whoops, okay, th mark that down. That was not the voice of the Lord. Right. Uh, so whatever that feeling was, keep in mind that's your feeling. Um, and I mean, there's all sorts of different ways that people hear from God. I speak regularly about sort of when I talk about hearing from the Lord, I, I don't, I've never heard the Lord audibly. I've heard of people who say, I hear from that. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Must but nice. yeah. I never did. But I do, I have had experiences where I've just felt an impression. And the reason I'm kind of doing this is just kind of the thought comes to my heart or my mind, I guess I could, and even while I'm praying. Right. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And the thought comes to my mind. I'm like, huh, well, you know, and so there is a lot of trial and error that goes into this. Certainly we can always check what we're feeling against God's word because you know he's never going to violate his word. So the person who says, you know, I just feel like God's telling me to divorce my spouse and or to have an affair with this person or to get or to you know, leave my family and go start over with this new person and start a new. Nope, that ain't God because right, yeah. he's not going to violate his word and he's going to call for more sacrifice from you than that you're hearing from you. Absolutely. Uh, so we can always check it against um, God's word. Mm -hmm. You know, one other thought that comes to mind, I've preached before, borrowing from another uh, preacher. There's, there's basically four ways that God answers. So you can always kind of run through this grid. Sometimes he says no. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes he says, slow, right. it's not a no forever, but right now things aren't in place. I need more time. I'm working behind the scenes. The Lord's saying, sometimes he's saying, grow, mm -hmm. you need to grow. It's going to happen, but I'm going to allow you to stay in the furnace a little bit longer to melt off some more of the dross to, to grow. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes he says, go. Right. And <clears throat> So a simple little rubric uh, way that we can say, well, which, which is it? Well, it's, it's the longer we journey with the Lord, right. the more we 
you know, come to know his word, pray his word, check our feelings, our impressions with his word and act upon this, the better at it we get. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a learning process. Yeah. And yeah, and the more we know scripture, sure. the more we're able to hear from Always. him in a, in a accurate way, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. And then I've also found community can be incredibly helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, I, anytime I have one of those um, kind of feelings that you're talking about um, or those impressions. I always check with people that are older and wiser than me. What do you hear in right. this? Does this sound crazy or exactly. does this sound like it could be God? Yeah. Community of people who know the word. Exactly. Not yeah. just community of like, hey, I think you're cool. So sure, that's good. <laughs> no, 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 but people who would shoot straight with you. Right. Um, who love Jesus and know his word. Absolutely. Yeah, that's always a good safeguard too. Absolutely. Well, Confirm. thank you so much uh, sure. for being here with us, Pastor Ken. And thank you all for your questions and for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.